what would you do if you're the Fed chair? And Mark, for that, we're going to start with the survey question. Uh, so yes, I don't know if Anessa or you are going to put that up. I think Anessa. Is... <laughs> there we go. Are. All right. So, uh, I think last week Duncan asked this question at the end of the meeting of what what happens at uh, the next Fed meeting. So I thought it'd be worthwhile after the events of the last couple of days to get people's thoughts on what happens next. So everyone can just pop in their answers and uh, we'll get the results back. It's uh, pretty simple. Yeah, and then we'll get started on it. I guess I can see the, the running. Oh, wow. I thought it was a it was a one horse race and now it's. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Can you guys see what I'm seeing? No, we can't. So you're going to have to share. Well, we will have when we end the pool. People are still answering. It's like the like popcorn was popping. Now it's sort of stopped popping. Um, I guess we can end the poll in seven seconds. Mark, do it like a horse race. Give us a rundown. Well, she was running around the, the turn all alone. And uh, and then that was the first turn. And then uh, you'll see. Uh-oh. I She might she might lose here in the end. Oh, well, she's breaking, she? breaking away. I'll end the poll. Uh, it's, oh, I thought we had. I thought she was going to lose, but she pulled it out. Oh, the suspense! Please. Wow, winner! I'm actually shocked. Yeah. I, so, so 25 bips came flying, and then uh, it sort of stalled, and somebody gave it a, a little whip at the end. And uh, is the uh, is the three percent a negative number? Is my question. They think they're going to cut rates at this meeting. Is that what the three percent is? Well, who's the one person if they want to speak up? That was me. Yeah, I would. Uh, I think they're going to cut rates by twenty five bips. That was my uh, other. At this okay. meeting, interesting, and that's what makes it a horse race. So, uh, Mark, thanks for the survey. It's it is fascinating. If we did that last week. I bet you it would have been moved up to uh, 25 and 50 would have had the same numbers as zero and, and uh, 25 have today. So uh, interesting numbers. Let me jump into my presentation here because it's uh, uh, somewhat connected here. So, uh, okay. Can you see the uh, presentation on the screen now? Yep. Yes. All right. So it's... Uh, Get into it. So the FOMC is facing real tension in its mandate between maximum employment, inflation, and financial stability, and uh, the failure of SVB and Signature Bank have added an additional factor into their decision-making process. So what's the Fed going to do uh, at the meeting uh, on the end of March? Um, I think it's uh, I think it's anyone's guess right now. I think the uh, Number that came out today for CPI would have had it at um, probably being consistent with the 25 uh, basis point move. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do 25 or pause. Um, there's a lot that can happen between now and then, particularly with what's going on in the banks. Um, before we get going, though, I, I want to say that I'm a big fan of Powell's, um, as I was with uh, Chair Yellen and Bernanke. Um, I think it's easy to say in hindsight that the Fed could have done some things differently. They could have ended QE sooner following the great financial crisis. 
They could have slowed the pace of bond buying in 22. They could have actually started to raise rates a little earlier than they did. Um, and they could have uh, ended QE as soon as the big uh, fiscal, stimulus, uh, fiscal stimulus went in last year. Um, so I think there's, it's easy to be a critic of the Fed, but I don't think when people are criticizing them and the other central banks, they're focused enough or there's enough discussion on what would have happened if the central banks didn't act the way they had. And you know, I think if you go back to 08, we were in a, in a crisis that was unlike anything we've seen in a long time. So I think what we're dealing with right now is we're experiencing, what we're experiencing today is the result of a combination of a once in a hundred year event, the pandemic, an event that has not occurred for 70 years, a war in Europe, and the desire of a, of a nation, China, to alter the state of geopolitics to take a bigger seat at the table. Um, I don't believe it's going to make much of a difference whether they do nothing or 25 at the next meeting. I think a 50 basis point move would be a shock given what's going on. Um, I think there are a couple things to take away, though, from this. And one is we've likely moved up zero in negative interest rates for good unless the banking crisis spirals from where we are. Um, I think we're entering a period where we're gonna have persistently higher interest rates, notwithstanding the banking crisis, because I think the guarantees on deposits that have been made or the implied guarantees on deposits are going to uh, take some of the pressures off that were uh, pushing us towards a crisis. Um, but we're gonna have a period of higher interest rates and higher level of inflation. Um, I think the Silicon Valley Bank issue will make the Fed more cautious at the next meeting. Um, but for investors, I think this really means a return to fundamentals. And for that, I mean, it's, um, I think the Fed put is back, but I think the Fed, Fed pivot is not. Meaning what they did with guaranteeing deposits actually does put a, a floor in the risk in the markets. Um, but I don't think they're necessarily gonna rapidly lower interest rates unless something blows up uh, right now. And I think the dilemma that you're seeing is uh, what Powell had talked about in his comments that are on the on the board here. You know, when he said disinflation started, he mentioned that 11 times in that in that meeting. But then he came back with March saying we're going to have higher levels of interest rates for much longer than people have, have thought. And that was really a message to the street to bring rates, but to bring their rate cut expectations back up in line. I think today before. Uh, the CPI number, there was a view that 73% of uh, people surveyed felt that it was going to be a 25, uh, 70, a 25 basis point raise, 23% that thought there'd be no increase. So I think the, the, the thinking uh, with CPI, um, it's a little surprising that our numbers had shifted to zero, but that's really a reflection of the concerns about price stability in an environment where uh, there's concerns about the financial system overall. Um, I do think the call for, for uh, interest rate cuts for two cuts that had been uh, present is now down to 17 uh, basis points of, of cuts. And I think uh, before too long, you'll see that drop. So the problem for the, for the Fed and for Powell is the economy is both running too hot and too cold. Um, GDP shows signs of cooling. Uh, manufacturing is showing signs of cooling. This is the ISM, and you can see under 50 is uh, contractionary. 
Consumer sentiment is way down, although it's picked up a little bit. I think you'll see it drop again in the next reported numbers because of uh, what's going on in the banking system. Um, inflation expectations were coming down gradually. This is what uh, the uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis and the San Francisco Fed have looked at. We know supply chains have eased, uh, but they are still a little bit elevated. And I think the other issue that we're facing here is there's a number of distortions going on in the global economy that are messing things up. So you have these pockets of things that have been in recession several months ago that are now coming out and things that have been doing quite well several months ago now coming into recession. So I think this distortions that are going on around the economy are throwing us off as well. Short-term inflation expectations have declined. This is for both professional investors and households. So you can see uh, that coming down as well. But you have this dilemma with wage growth, which is both strong and moderating. So you've had a number of uh, union increases going up with seven to 23% increases coming out. But you have these distortions that are going on in the markets where leisure and hospitality see it coming down, trade and transportation see it um, uh, starting to rise a little bit. So you have these kind of mixed messages going on here. And then the other problem for the Fed is, while you have these easings on one hand, on the other hand, you have a labor market that even after popping up uh, last week to 3.6% is still way too tight. And this is historical going back to 03, but uh, uh, a 3.6 level is goes back historically low, I think back 58 years kind of low. Um, participation rates coming up, but it's still way below where it was even back, um, you know, back in 03, but back for most of the times we've been in for the last decade. So you have strong, a strong labor market um, that's very tight still. You're seeing job grains, gains, manufacturing coming back to the US, even though it's slowing, you have these distortions that continue to go on. And this is a great example of it. You look at how different the world is today. The green is job openings and the blue is job seekers. And you can look at the gap up that we had here at the beginning of the pandemic and now look at how that's reversed with uh, job seekers way below job opening. And I think this is something that is part of the uh, chronic problem that's in the system. Um, the other problem with those labor market distortions is productivity has declined the last couple of years at a time with all the advances in technology, it should be moving up. So we've had this dilemma where productivity dropped when the pandemic hit and then the war continued to push that down. And now we're in a period where we have tight labor markets, labor shortages, and we need to get productivity moved back up, but it takes time for this to happen. Unit labor costs are rising at the same time productivity is going down, which squeezes earnings. So that gives you a sense that the earnings for companies is gonna be more difficult. So you can see the two sides of the coin where you have a very overheated economy, but one that's also cooling. And I didn't mention the fact that we put in massive amounts of monetary and fiscal stimulus that is now being adjusted on the monetary side, but not on the fiscal side. The fiscal side came in so late that that's part of the reason we're seeing this inflation that we're, we're dealing with today. So now we have the question of what's going on in the world and how do we adjust to this? And I think this chart is really reflective of 
the problems that existed and what really I think is a lot behind what happened at Silicon Valley Bank is the mismatch of their, their expectations for their liabilities and for their assets. And I don't think they expected this kind of a move that we saw up in rates in such a condensed period. I think that's really thrown off a lot of the markets for investing. And I think the idea that we have to get used to here is this was an aberration, these two periods from 09 to 16 and from basically the start of the pandemic to uh, midpoint of last year. I think that's the aberration here. Will we go back there? Is it possible? Yeah, but if we get to, if we have to go back to zero interest rates, uh, I don't really want to think about the problems the world's going to have because we've shot a lot of bullets from central banks and from monetary and fiscal policy to deal with the problem. Um, but you know that when you have tightening cycles like this, and this is the Fed funds rate in the uh, pinkish line and the black is the two-year yield, when you have that kind of a move up in that kind of a condensed period, we've talked about this repeatedly over the last year, when the Fed moves and rates move up, crises follow. And the question is, is the crypto, was the crypto $1 trillion wipeout, was that um, the crisis or is it um, what's going on in commercial real estate now or is it what's going on in the banking industry or is what happened, uh, the actions taken by the Treasury, the Fed and other agencies yesterday to guarantee deposits going to um, mean that we're going to avoid a further crisis and the Fed can keep on the path that it's on. I think there's no clear answer to it. I suspect that the Fed will pause. I think part of the reason they're going to pause is because they've had interest rates ratchet up so fast. Um, at the same time, they're doing a lot of quantitative tightening that I don't think the full impact of the combination of those two is understood by, by the Fed or by the markets because it's never been done before at this kind of scale. So I think we're in one of those periods where the Fed will likely pause or just do 25 basis points just so they don't upset the market. Um, if you look at the San Francisco Fed's proxy rate that factors in quantitative tightening, we're looking at a uh, rate that's a Fed funds rate that would be equivalent to 6.3%, not 4.75. And this is after rates have come down considerably the last couple of days. So the markets tend not to think about the lag effect of, of monetary or fiscal policy. It usually takes a year and a half to two years. So the economy's been so strong because we put over 50% of GDP to work in the US uh, and over 35% globally to support the economy since the uh, pandemic hit. And if you think about the implications of that on the world economy, if in 19 we were closing in about a hundred trillion dollar economy, I think the economy dropped off about 6% um, uh, with the pandemic. So you lost $6 trillion of, of GDP effectively, but we threw in 35% of GDP to the problem. So you put five times the problem uh, for the solution in terms of monetary and fiscal stimulus to deal with the loss in GDP that we experienced. So you can see the mismatch of how much money was thrown at the problem versus the scale of the problem, which is why we've had more inflation pressures than we thought we we're gonna have at this point. And I think that's the problem the Fed's dealing with is monetary policy alone would have caused some inflation, but when you added the fiscal stimulus at the levels that we added, 
you were guaranteed to get a higher level and we missed it at ARS that that was going to that level. We did not miss the fact that rates were gonna move up and therefore a lot of the high multiple stuff was gonna get hurt. So we were able to reverse our positioning on high multiple stocks, but that is, I think, the dilemma that we're dealing with now. So let me just talk about the handoffs that are going on right now from the Fed to fundamentals. We are gonna continue to see this global fragmentation go on. Cost of living is going to be more elevated than it's been at any point in time the last 10 or 15 years. And you're seeing this reindustrialization of the global economy going on. The government's told you where to put money in the US. Um, and with what's going on with consumers right now and the slowing down and the, the inflationary issues still being as persistent, I think you have to look to the government and corporations to drive your investment opportunities, not to the consumer, which is unusual for the US. And we've talked about the beneficiaries before. And before I hand it off to Joe and open it up for questions, I want to leave you with one thought that is a little bit scary. The CEO of uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, on Friday lost two jobs. He obviously lost his job as CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, but he was also asked to step down from the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank Board of Governors. That's right. He was on the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank Board of Governors until Friday. So there will be some pushback as to um, the independence and the oversight and all that and the regulatory issues that were going on. But uh, I just found that was a fascinating uh, uh, factor to keep in mind. So Mark will open up the questions and get to Joe's stuff. I did not know that he was on the board. Holy cow. I did, I did not either. Yeah, they kept that one a little quiet. Um, but well, if you, go, if you yeah, Google it, it is. On Silicon Valley Bank's board, they had an undersecretary uh, of treasury. So it's not like there wasn't plenty of, anyway. Oh, it, my goodness. It gets worse. He was removed from the website without a press release. And then Google who the chief financial officer was at Silicon Valley Bank and check out what her historical jobs might have were. Been, might have been and at Lehman. Head of, head, of, head of risk at Deutsche Bank from 2006 to 2008. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, you got to know that people like me on the south side of Chicago place, you know, are watching some of this stuff and really shaking our heads. You know, we have a lot of discussions with people about why or why not you can't allocate money to places like the southeast side of Chicago. And then we see all of this stuff that's happening with SVB and we just say, you know, what, what, are, what are the metrics? What are the criteria people use so, to allocate money? It doesn't make sense. Andrew, we have a hand raising system of some sorts here. So uh, Andrew's had his hand up. Let's. Go ahead, Andrew. Hey, good to be with everybody. Thanks, Stephen. Um, so I'm, I've been down in the Southeast, particularly Florida, for the last year or so. Um, with all the significant headwinds, you wouldn't know it by the people out and about spending money, traveling, going to, to hotels, uh, theme parks, movies, concerts. What what gives there? Is this a is there going to be a lag effect on this level of consumption? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You're, you are seeing the stimulus that was put in the system that I was talking about was so massive that I don't think people really got their mind around it. And you do have a lot of capital that's um, a lot of liquidity in the system still. Um, but I also think you're seeing the mismatch of uh, 
uh, the three inequalities that we've talked about in the past, country inequality, company inequality, and income inequality. And all those three are gonna get exacerbated by the problems that we have today. But we, you know, just think what we gave people and their balances are a trillion dollars higher in cash right now than they were before the pandemic. Trillion dollars. Thank you for that. Quick follow-up question. The job seeking seeking graph that you showed, there are probably many metrics for that, but what's in your eyes, what's <laughs> is there a psychological effect post-pandemic where people just don't want to work? Are people taking early retirement? Uh, there's a there is a bunch of uh, issues that are going on. One is the younger cohorts are not coming back as fast, and more of the older people are just early retiring earlier. So you you're getting uh, people not comfortable uh, coming back in, and companies a little hesitant to hire experienced people because they won't adjust their comp down for you know it's like the you're seeing with the uh, NFL right now where they're doing free agency and players get to a certain uh, level of experience and not worth the same amount of money as they were previously. And companies and individuals haven't adjusted to that. And I think we have to have a system that kind of scales you back down on the other side to manage the, the labor let's, mismatch. Let's keep it going, Adam Blanco. Yes, yeah, Stephen, um, apart from the late seventies, early eighties, when was, when was the last time that, that we saw such increases in interest rate in such a condensed period of time? Probably 1994, I think, was the fastest rate increase period. And did, we have, and did we have such issues with, with the banks? That's the first question. Second question is, do you see this as systemic? <laughs> What's happened with, uh, with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature? Uh, I don't, we didn't see that kind of a crisis right away, but in 97, we did see the, right, 97, 98, you started to see the emerging market crisis and loan to developing, uh, <laughs> not the loan, the uh, long-term capital came a couple years after. So I don't think that was as much a cause and effect. Um, I think this was a function of a couple of things. One is uh, the expectation that zero rates were going to stay zero for a lot longer. And, uh, and that they couldn't move up as quickly as they did, which was flawed on so many levels, and just a bad use of the bank's balance sheet. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's more. I think people are going to overcomplicate this, but the the suddenness of the move from zero to four percent is significant, um, and you're seeing it in housing and other areas too. So, you know, we've had big declines in rates because people are really worried about it. So, I think it is. You would view it as systemic. Um, does it mean the system's going to go down because of this? I think the the actions by uh, the government to basically guarantee deposits um, for some period of time, what that means and how that sticks. Um, when they moved it in 08 from 100,000 to 250,000, it wasn't signed into law for two years after that the 250,000 became the new uh, level of uh, civic insurance. So I think that what you have to see is what happens next. So we're going to now forever guarantee deposits at banks and who's going to manage the risk then. Next, um, next topic question, Michael Hammer. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks. So, wow, there's just so much to digest after this weekend. <laughs> and yeah. um, several of the startups uh, that I am invested in 
had money in SVB. Fortunately, none of them had all their money there. Um, and I guess what's kind of, I don't know if I want to say interesting or shocking, is all the vitriol that I see out there directed at the depositors. Um, and so is that, I, Mike, is that a hammer or a question? Is that a hammer? Is that a question or a comment? Well, that was a comment leading up to my question. We, which, we, have, we, we have only two, three minutes, so a lot of hands. Okay, I'll pass. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Just what, what's the question? Okay, Stephen, most folks I know don't dig heavily into banks that are carrying a lot of government bonds and whatnot. Um, how much do you think that's actually going to change over the long run? Uh, I think they're going to increase regulation again, probably misregulate. Um, and I think the issue is, uh, it's always been the case from an investment perspective that with insurance companies, you don't know their liabilities. And with banks, you don't know their assets. And it's always going to be hard to figure out the right way to value them and to understand the risks that they're taking. Um, so I think that's part of the challenge we're going to see. Rand Andrew Randek. Hey, good morning. Um, I put in the chat a, a very good piece by Chris Whalen about who killed Silicon Valley Bank. I think it's important to understand the nature of what's called extension risk in the mortgage space. Um, I got my mortgage two years ago at 2.6%, uh, 30-year mortgage from Chase Manhattan. That piece of paper today is worth about 70 cents in the open market. So you multiply that differential by trillions of dollars of mortgages and you find the hole in the bank's balance sheets. All of this is monetary policy. Uh, and most of it was Fed policy for the banks to issue these mortgages to liquefy the mortgage market. So I, I think we can't uh, we can't just point at bank bank management and say it was bad management. Yeah, there's horrible treasury management in a lot of ways. Um, but this was a manufactured crisis. <clears throat> Thanks, Andrew. Tejas, Cha. Hey, uh, hey. Uh, so. My, my question is more around uh, the impact about, on, on real estate, uh, on residential real estate. So we know 2008 financial crisis, uh, we saw the housing market, saw see a big correction. Um, nowadays, we're, we're starting to see that a lot of money was pumped into real estate uh, during the pandemic. Interest rates are going up. Um, at the same time, uh, there's a wave of fractionalization of ownership that's happening as well as people look to explore other areas of, uh, of real estate and expand their just uh, you know, real, real quick portfolio. real quick to the question if you could oh yeah so my, my question to you is uh, do you see the same, the similar impact happening this time around with residential real estate as we saw in 2008 uh, no I think the uh, supply and demand dynamics are very different now than they were then we have uh, supply shortages that are pretty significant so I don't think it's going to be the same last question then before we transition Duncan um, I was just going to, Stephen, I asked you the question last week, and I'm just wondering if you're thinking differently. Um, it seems to me this is the excuse for people that are in the administration to talk about um, the, uh, the legislative branch and the executive branch helping on the inflation fight, given that the Fed's efforts have now you know, led us to a crisis. 
you know, the, the marginal move of 25 basis points is not going to do anything for inflation right now. But there are things that could be done. Do you think this crisis creates a dialogue that might uh, address some of the um, other issues that the uh, legislative branch and the executive branch could do? I, I, I worry that they're going to just politicize the, the whole issue and, and then overrate and misregulate coming out of this, not address the real issues. Um, and I don't think it, uh, I, I think this, I think this problem has many hands. So uh, I, I don't think it's purely on the bank. Um, I don't think it's purely on the Fed and I don't think it's purely on the regulators. I do think Congress has, uh, has a role in this too, that they seem to always ignore their own role in this. Uh, and the regulations that they're putting out tend to close the door after the horses have left the barn instead of dealing with the future problems. Yeah. And I think that's where we ended up here.